Heavenly Father, may the words of my mouth and the thoughts of our hearts be acceptable to you through Jesus Christ, our Savior and Lord. Amen. In our Gospel reading for this morning, Jesus describes people knocking on the door of a house, but the master of that house will not let the people in. Now the house represents the kingdom of God. And the master represents our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And Jesus refuses to open the door to the people who want in. Jesus keeps these people out of the house, out of his own kingdom out of heaven. Why? What sort of savior is he? Maybe a better question would be, who are these people wanting to get in? Yes, they went into heaven, but they went in only after the door has been shut. These people want access to heaven only after the doors closed. They did not want in before. Look at verse 24 on page 10 of your bulletin. Verse 24. Strive to enter by the narrow gate, the narrow door, for many will, that's future tense, many will seek to enter, meaning only after the door's been shut, and they will not be able because the door's closed. In other words, they are not seeking to enter now when the door is open. They're not responding to the good news now when it's being proclaimed. They're not coming to the Lord's table now when it's being offered. Only after they are denied access do they desire the things of the Lord. Otherwise, they care little or nothing for Jesus or for his gifts. Their desire to get in is simply an impulsive reaction to being denied what they were once allowed. That's all it is. And that's human nature. It is human nature to want whatever you cannot have. In the words of the folk singer Joni Mitchell from many years ago, you don't know what you've got till it's gone. Heaven is a huge house with a narrow entrance. God made his house large enough for every individual, every human being. But the entrance is a bit tight. Verse 24, once again strive or struggle to enter through the narrow door. Page 11, Roman numeral 1. The struggle is daily repentance. I could say repentance, but repentance is a daily activity in the life of a Christian, so I, I say daily repentance. And repentance is always a work of God in the heart. Just as much as forgiveness is a gift from God, 
Repentance is as well, and I've included several scriptures for you. You can look at those later to see what I mean. Repentance, like forgiveness, is pure gift. But the Christian life is a struggle. The struggle is not that I must somehow do enough good works to get into heaven. That's impossible. No one can earn heaven. The struggle, rather, is against myself, against my own sinful nature, which seeks every day to pull me away from Jesus. You see, my sinful nature is lazy. It does not want me to read God's word or to pray. It pulls me away from those things. My sinful nature is selfish and it is sensuous. It does not want me to think pure thoughts. And that's the struggle. St. Paul capsulized it this way in Romans 7. He said, the good I want to do, I often don't. But the evil I don't want to do, that I often do. That is to say, according to Paul, there's a war going on in your members and in my members. It's a struggle between our sinful nature and the new nature in Christ. Every day, that conflict takes place. Letter A. All are invited into heaven. All are invited into God's kingdom. But the Christian faith demands more than casual interest. It demands more than casual interest. Let me ask you this. Can a football player take a casual attitude toward football? Imagine a high school student, and he has an interest in football, and he says to the coach, I'd like to be on the team, but don't expect me more than to one or two practices a week. That's it. Now, what would the coach say to that? I don't think the coach will let him on the team. But the coach might say something like, or think at least, well, he's got an interest in football, but it's a purely casual interest. That's all that it is. That student cannot play football on his terms. He must play it on the team's terms, or not at all. In the same way, no one, and I mean no one, can be a casual Christian. Martin Luther said it this way, when our Lord and Master Jesus Christ said repent, he willed that the entire life of believers should be one of repentance, one of constantly turning away from what we know is wrong. Every day, we struggle against our own sinful desires. And if you've stopped struggling, well, you've stopped being a Christian, at least for the moment. C.S. Lewis wrote this, if Christianity is not true, it's of no importance at all. But if it is true, it is of infinite importance, meaning it should dominate your entire life, everything you do. But then he wrote, the one thing Christianity cannot be is moderately important. Now, it's my humble opinion that for too many people, Christianity is moderately important. And if that's all it is to you, then Christianity is on its way to becoming of no importance to you. Letter B. The struggle, and the, the, the Greek word, well, the noun is ag, uh, agonia, 
we get our word agony from that. The verb here is agonizomai. The struggle involves turning away from our own pet sins. Pet sins. These are sins that we think of as harmless, but they can be the most dangerous of all because we feel free to indulge them. It's like indulging a child in whatever he wants, and that never ends well. Pet sins may also be those around which we attempt to form an identity. Some of us today identify ourselves as LGBTQ. But in Scripture, identity is never self-chosen. Identity is always assigned to you by God, whether it's your gender, whether it's your family, whether it is your tribe or your community, whether it is your participation in the body of Christ. That's God's doing. God gave you your identity in your baptism when he placed his name on you, when he washed your sins away, and when he made you his own child. That was his doing. And that's your identity. St. Paul wrote to the Christians in Corinth that before their conversion, some of them were sexually immoral. That means living together without marriage. Some were idolaters. Others were homosexuals. Some were greedy. Others were thieves or drunkards, swindlers, revilers. And my friends, each one of us can find ourselves somewhere on that list. We can. But then Paul writes these words to the Christians in Corinth. But you were washed in your baptism. You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. In other words, God gave you a new identity which totally eclipses the old. Your identity is not the sin that once held you captive. Your identity is the Savior who frees you from all sin and its guilt and its punishment. He is your identity. St. Paul wrote in Romans 8, If you live according to the flesh, you'll die. But if by the Spirit you daily put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who are led by this Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. And then let her see. To speculate about others, and this is our habit, to speculate about others is to avoid repentance. And you can see that in Luke 13, earlier in this chapter, where um, Jesus is confronted with someone who tells him an atrocity story. Oh, did you hear about those Galileans whose blood Pilate mingled with their own sacrifices? They were engaged in worship, and, and they were slaughtered by Pilate. I wonder what kind of people they were. And Jesus turns the tables, as well he should. And he says, do you think those individuals, those unfortunate souls, were worse than you or anyone else because this happened to them? No, I tell you. But unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. You see, that's Jesus. But that's us. Rather than confront our own issues, we would prefer to focus on the problems of others. But our Lord and Savior loves us too much to allow us that. Jesus will not let us examine others without first examining ourselves. Roman numeral two. The door is open to all. 
and it is, letter A, wide enough to include you. The door is wide enough for you, no matter where you've been or what you've done. The door is wide enough for you, but it's not wide enough for your sin. That's where it gets narrow. The door is not wide enough for those sins that will inevitably draw you away from Jesus if you persist in them. We cannot, on the one hand, be released from our sins by our Lord and Savior, and with the other hand, embrace them. You can't do that. It doesn't work. To assume that we can hold on to Christ while we also willfully now, willfully hold on to our sin, that is to make Christ an enabler. And that he's not. My friends, the door is open to all. But let her be. It will not remain open forever. It will not remain open forever. The door to heaven will close on the last day, at the return of our Lord. And so let me ask you, is that good news or is it bad news? Is it comfort or is it threat? Is it law or is it gospel? Well, I would say it depends on which audience you're talking about. For those of us who agonize over our sinful nature, for those of us who daily struggle against that nature, the closing of heaven's door is actually good news. It means that our struggle, our agony concerning our own sinfulness is finally over and done. It is no more. It's finished. But for those of us who refuse to repent, the closing of the door of heaven is the worst news imaginable. For those who relish and nurture their sin, the closing of heaven means that their agony is only starting. If that describes anyone here or anyone listening online, if the shoe fits, repent and believe the good news that the door is open today and it's open for you no matter where you've been or what you've done. The door is still open. Christ opened it and he holds it open for you and for all. That door may not be wide enough for your sin, but it's surely wide enough for you. In Jesus' name, amen. The peace of God, which passes all understanding, guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Amen.